0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored
1: by Narconon Ojai.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the hostess for this podcast. We are, I think, at episode number 152 with this episode, 151 or 152, but we're getting very close to the end of our third year podcasting. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. We sincerely hope that it has given you some message of hope and a message that help is available and that it has spurred you to take action if you know someone who is addicted or if you yourself are addicted. want to remind you to please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and also subscribe and watch us on youtube we are interviewing doing our interviews in video as well as audio as often as we can and so you can find us on youtube at our channel which is the addiction podcast point of no return so today we're going to talk to a beautiful young woman named ali severino ali severino was born in inglewood new jersey As a child, Allie moved frequently between New York, New Jersey, and Florida, becoming a student at over 20 different schools. This affected her in many ways before she ever picked up a drink or a drug. Allie became a part of the foster care system at 12 and eventually relocated for good with her father to South Florida. Allie had already developed a history of drug abuse, but moving to Florida in the midst of a pill mill epidemic became the catalyst toward full-blown addiction. This toxic lifestyle started to quickly take an intense turn in June of 2007 when Severino was arrested for a laundry list of felony charges, including multiple charges of drug trafficking. Today, she is a tenacious crusader in the current drug crisis. Allie has devoted her life's work to breaking down the stigma associated with substance use disorders and increasing access to care for all who experience them. Allie speaks regularly with schools, drug court officials, judges, teachers, parents, and those like herself who are dealing with addiction. Let's talk to Allie. Allie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate your willingness to share your story.
1: Of course. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, you know, I think that um, a lot of times people don't want to share this part of their lives because it oftentimes is not maybe the best time of your life when you're addicted. But I feel like when you share a story like yours, that it's going to resonate with somebody.
1: Yeah. And you know, what, I was that person for a really long time. You know, the first probably five years of my recovery, at least, I was in total anonymity everywhere I went, work. And I just did not tell any, you know, I just never told anyone. I still don't, you know, even when I do shows or whatever, I never really say what program I work. I try to keep that, but, you know, I've started telling my story, and it's nice. I think once it's time are moved, it's better.
0: (laughs) Well, it helps people. I know it does. Totally. So how did you, tell us about your drug history. How did you get started on drugs?
1: Um, so... You know, I guess I started experimenting at a young age though, at a very young age, let's say seven, eight, I was like the biggest dare advocate kid. Right. So that was totally me because both my parents drank a lot. And so I just, I hated it. And I bought into dare. I was like, they are totally right. You're going to die and be awful if you do drugs. And, um, I guess my first experience, I was at a, you know, a good friend's house, her older sister smoked weed, they had this bong out, and she was like, and she went to go, and I like blew, I blew the lighter out, I was like, no, like, what are you doing, oh my god, like, can't do that so bad, and she was like, no, it's not, and she did it, and I remember I tried to hit it then next, and I blew the water in, so if you blew the water in a bong, you know, it comes out spout, I didn't know, I was probably not, I think I was in fifth grade, so you know after that i started to experiment a little bit more i guess i saw other people doing it and um the interesting thing is every time i tried my first drug i don't think i ever really loved it right hmm. Which is, some people had that have that love the first time they do it and it's like forever like for me i didn't have that but i kept doing it until the time i did it and i was like oh i really like this hmm. you know and it's weird right and uh So, you know, I guess at nine, smoke weed, what's sixth grade? I don't know. Sixth, seventh grade, smoking weed regularly. Um, I, you know, my home life was different. I had lived with my mom until I was seven. And when I was seven, um, I went to go, I ended up with my dad. It's a long story. My mom doesn't love me telling it. She wants to sue me. Anyway. (laughs) So um, I started living with my dad and uh, it's, you know, me, him, my stepmom. he's sober. My dad had five years in sobriety and I used to remember him coming home with his coins and all this stuff. Uh, But eventually, you know, my dad did, you know, slip, he relapsed. And um, around that time, I went into foster care for about a year, a little over a year. And I guess during that time, I started acting out more than ever. Um, I guess when my dad you know, started acting out. So did I. And I don't know, I haven't really seen a lot of therapists, but I'm sure it has something to do with that. Uh, You know, when I was younger, I went to probably 30 different schools. And maybe that had something with me feeling like I didn't fit in. But drugs were a way for me to fit in with people and make friends easily and whatever. So cocaine, ecstasy, weed were like the main things I never drank, though. Because I hate mm. alcohol. Because my mm-hmm. parents, right? So, um, my dad. When I get out of foster care, you know, he's supposed to stop drinking because he lost me because of drinking. And right. He had to do all these things, and you know, parenting classes. And I finally get home, and uh, he cracks a beer, and I kind of like had this shift in my mentality. Yeah. And um, I was like, well fuck it. Can I curse? That's fine. Okay. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) No, it's totally okay. I just have to say that um, when I put it up um, for the feed that it's not clean.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, after that, I was like, well, I'll do what I want to do too then. You know, I mean, if you couldn't do this for me, then, you know, I'm not going to try to be better. Cause I had this idea that I was going to go home and be better. And since he wasn't, I wasn't. And now, you know, as I've gotten older, I look back and I realized that's addiction. We can't quit because we love our kids. Right. That's not how it works. And you know, so I don't, I don't, I love my dad. Me and him are so close today, but then he decides we're going to move to Florida. I live in New York. <laughs> New York, And uh, I was like, "What? like the, my whole life is here. Are you crazy? Like, i have a boyfriend we're 15 14 we're gonna get married (laughs) and um you know and this is you know just kind of little side notes until we get into it but so we moved down to florida and um i moved down to florida in the midst of a pill mill epidemic right this was 2005 so they were everywhere it was yep yeah i had never seen pills like that in new york and I was introduced to them my first week down here. Um, wow. Yeah. From was,
0: By a friend or?
1: Yeah. I was sitting in class and this girl was like, hey, do you have any French fries? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. She's like, uh, "Xannies or whatever. There was Xanax, but I had never even heard of what Xanax was. Right. And I was like, no. She's like, you got to try it. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, all right. And I was trying to make friends because, again, I'm in a new school with new people, and I wasn't really sure how to do that without smoking weed to connect with them. Uh, so I try Xanax. I don't remember it like most people who do Xanax, right? And um, and I guess it just starts to evolve from there. I had been selling a little stuff here and there, ecstasy. Uh, but so, yeah. So at that point, I'm doing Xanax regularly, cocaine and smoking weed. And selling. And selling, yeah. And I'm, okay. I'm 14. About to be 15 so um, want me to keep going yeah
0: and how old are All you right. at this point
1: I'm 15 okay and now I'm in West Boca Raton Florida which just you know I wasn't that kid so it was very it was the only school like I said I've been to 30 schools it was right. the only school I puked before my first day I was so nervous oh wow so different right like there was just so much money and it was just I was so nervous and, um, well, I made friends quickly though. My, I made a best friend across the street. His name was Zach. And, uh, we became two peas in a pod and he was a little bit older and he was getting off of, uh, heroin, which I didn't know at the time. And, um, you know, long story short, it just progressed, right? I just started to party a lot. I started to make friends who were partying and I started to sell ecstasy more than ever. And that was, you know, my thing and i stuck to cocaine and xanax for a while a lot though so much that i just genuinely don't remember you know at least a year and i started keeping track of it because i'm just that kind of person i had this little black book and i would write what drugs and like what i did every day because i couldn't remember because i'm taking you know 20 milligrams of xanax a day and uh I can't remember anything, so wow. I'm writing in this book everything that I'm doing. Right, one gram of coke, you know this whatever, and um, there was a night where I was supposed to be work, and I worked at Party City, and I was supposed <laughs> to be working, and I didn't go in, and I ended up eating a bunch of muscle relaxers, somas, and. You know, I like, what, I guess it was like an overdose. I was like going into convulsions and I don't remember anything. And I burnt myself all over with cigarettes, whatever. And after that, I was like, oh my God, I need to slow down. <laughs> like, oh, okay. You know? Like it was just a really bad night. You know, I'm not going to get into all this. It was really bad. You no, know? like really bad. And okay, so- Allie, I just
0: have one question though. Do you but, still have the book? Do you ever pick it up and oh, look at it?
1: No, oh. <laughs> I wish I did. Yeah. you know, no, my dad moved when I was in rehab and he got rid of like all my stuff, you know, ah. cause people were coming there threatening him. It was, I left my dad in a terrible decision. I got it. Yeah. So I wish though. But I remember after that night I wrote SOMAs, right? I got to quit. I got to stop doing this shit. And I made a firm resolution, me and a friend of mine we said, we're not doing it. We're going to stop. Just weed. You know, we're just going to smoke weed. And I did that for two days. <laughs> That's how long I lasted. Two days. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to, and then you don't know. You don't know then that, like, this is, like, you know, this cycle and you have this obsession. That's not, like, a thing that you're aware of at 15 years old, you know. But I just knew that, like, I made this huge pact to stop. And I didn't.
0: Well, especially at 15, you're invincible. Nothing can hurt totally. you. Nothing's ever going to harm you. Nope. You know, eating bad food doesn't hurt you, you know, so you can stop the drugs whenever you want.
1: Right. My friends used to say, he used to say, oh, because I used to just walk across, like I used to walk across the street, not look. You'd be like, oh, I'm Alley. Cars don't hit right. me. I hit cars, right? Right. That was literally my mentality, right? Yep. And, uh, so, you know, uh, eventually, you know, I'm really selling ecstasy. I start doing, I had done oxys a couple of times, but I didn't like them. Like every other drug I tried, they weren't my favorite. They made me tired and I like to be up. Um, and I did them one, the third time I did them, I fell in love and mm. I did them every single day after that. Every, I never missed a day after that third time. And, um, you know, life just changed so quickly before it was kind of manageable. And, you know, I had friends and then, but my whole school was on these drugs. Back then we didn't have these powerful speakers that came in. We didn't have this education that we have today. We didn't have any of this stuff. And so we didn't really know that like these drugs were so addicting. We didn't know what our lives were going to become the first time we used them. Would it have made a difference? I'm not sure, but maybe. And so i go on that path and then I start selling them and then we're doctor shopping. And then I'm living at, you know, my boyfriend's apartment cause my dad had kicked me out cause he knows what's up. He knows that I'm selling because when you have these pills, I mean, the kids are like, they're coming by the dozen, like by the busload to pick them up. And, uh, and there's this one guy I had met at a rave club and he had been buying XC off me and I was, I didn't really like him to begin with, but, I'll tell you why so I had a bad feeling about him so I had been selling to him and you know it was like three times I'd sold him a few hundred ecstasy pills and the, the last time he wanted a thousand and I was like Fucking sure. no way right <laughs> that is such a setup no way he wants a thousand and he wants to pay this much like that doesn't sound right to me but me and my boyfriend are so strung out because remember I might be selling drugs but I'm broke, okay? Cuz I am getting high. I don't right. have any money, I don't have food. I'm living off of Slim Jims and Arizona iced teas. That was literally what I ate every day. And, you know, you know, it's not this luxury lifestyle. I'm, I'm sleeping on the floor in an apartment with the drug, you know, the guy who I'm paying to go to the doctor cuz he's an actual adult living in my bedroom, you know, freaking out every day. It's a just disgusting, gross, power turned off place. It's not like sounds nice i forgot to add all that stuff right, right. <laughs> so no it wasn't fun um and uh yeah so my boyfriend just couldn't resist right he had to answer the phone for this guy cuz we were being greedy and we needed money <laughs> and so we answered the phone and he was like listen i'll take whatever you got we said we have oxy 80s we got Roxy's, like whatever he was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll take a bunch, he took a bunch of stuff. So, like, okay, we'll meet you. Now me and my boyfriend at the time were like, this is it. We are leaving this drug dealer in here because he's going to murder us when he finds out that we spent the rent money on drugs. Okay. <laughs> uh, everything is like, fucked. and like, he's literally going to kill us. So we need to get out of here. We're going to do this last deal and we're going home. I had my bags, my, I had, you know, trash bags full of my clothes. I already brought it to my dad's, you know, his mom I already had a plan for him to go to treatment that we didn't even know about. We go do this last deal and I'm sitting in the car because we're sell- selling them a few different items. So different price points need a calculator. I'm high. I don't know what's going on. I'm like calculating things, you know, and oh, I look up and it's the organized crime task. Force. Oh, no. oh, my God. They're guns, uh. masks, like Jesus. Like I was like, me? You're here for me. <laughs> you know I I throw the drugs at the confidential informant this guy who's been meeting with me I'm like he did this like he was that guy and they're like no you get out right now I'm like oh my god is this real like what just happened like what just what just happened and uh but of course being I'm 17 at the time I think 17 what are they gonna do put me in jail you know Someone told me that. It's a myth, guys. You can definitely go to jail if you're under 18. Okay, so- that's a
0: very good point. I hope people listening get that. You can go to jail under
1: 17. Yeah. I mean, under 18. Huh. Yeah. So you're 12. I was in there with 12 year olds, okay? Like, you can wow. go to jail at any age. It was crazy. So, whatever. They want to co- contact my parents. I'm like, they're dead. They don't exist. I don't know who you're going to contact because my dad's literally going to murder me. Like, my dad's an army militant, like, God, okay? he's not compassionate towards this kind of stuff
0: and was he clean and sober at the time no no oh okay no.
1: he was drinking you know but you know my dad's always held a great job and he's very functioning you know okay so he's and even the drinking makes it even scarier because you know when people drink and they get angry it's just volatile right and um so eventually they have to call him and he's like yeah i don't care i told you to stop you know bye <laughs> and I said, I "Told you guys, that's what was gonna happen." I don't know why you made me call him. You know, just send me up the river. You know, <laughs> what are you gonna send me next? So they sent me to the juvenile detention center, and uh, you know, I was there detoxing. You know, I was there detoxing, and they had no idea what was going on because it wasn't common back then. You know, we got if this was 13 years ago. This or 2007, 7, 13 years ago. Yeah. And, uh,
0: so you were dope sick basically.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, I have a screeching habit. I'm doing, you know, five oxy eighties a day, maybe 10 roxy thirties. Like that's just like, you can't even get, they don't even make them anymore. You know, like these drugs are so powerful and, uh, yeah, I was very sick. And, um, you know, the staff there, you know, the, the COs or whatever, they're just giving me the hardest time. And, no one knew what to do and i was in there for four drug trafficking charges now i'm facing 120 years in prison i don't even wow. care if i'm so sick all i can think of is getting high and my boyfriend who ended up telling on me anyway
0: oh okay
1: yeah, it's love it's just yeah. drugs guys you're not in love <laughs> trust me okay wow. so uh so yeah i go do my arraignment they're like 120 years i'm like this is crazy i'm 12 what do you mean 120 years like right and they say uh you know we're gonna see if we're gonna file and charge you as an adult and so they have like 20 something days to do that and they don't do that by like let's say 21. they don't do that by the 21st day at five o'clock you get released
0: wow okay
1: so i'm like all right let's hope they forget Wishful thinking, right? So it's the twenty-first day. It's four fifty-five, and I'm like, hey, God. like they don't know, right? And I'm sitting there, and it's four fifty-nine. No paperwork is coming for me yet. I'm like, I'm going home today. And at four fifty-nine, paperwork comes in. Fax machine was also broken, so they couldn't even send me up that day. I had to wait a whole extra day. Whatever. I was like, ah. Oh. And the next day, they brought me to you know the adult jail. Wow. Down here in Florida. And um, I got a bond of $80,000, which I thought my dad, 80 grand. You know, like I thought that was not a lot. Because I'm an idiot. Because I'm a kid. And we were dumb as kids. And, um, you and know, you'd
0: probably made that amount selling drugs over and over, right?
1: Yeah, I guess. I spent it all on drugs. But yeah. right. Yeah. But the, I
0: mean, yeah. I'm just saying that might be part of the reason, like, oh, 80 grand's not that much. I mean, I've right. turned that over in a week, you know.
1: Right. No, yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, probably. I've never thought about that. Um, yeah. And so, but my dad let me sit there, you know, and but I was feeling better. I was starting to feel better and it felt good because I had energy again. And, you know, I was having these like little fake parties in my cell with my bunkie, like, eating moon pies and oatmeal cream pies and just like, you know, singing and dancing. Cause I just have this life back in me because the drugs are out of my system and I'm always such a happy person. Okay. And that person was coming back out and I knew I was in there because of drugs. I knew that was the reason why I was there. 1000% can't do this anymore. This is so dumb. I have to, I cannot do this when I get home. And uh, a month or so later, my dad bonds me out. I get bonded out to be put on house arrest on pretrial release. So now I'm going to be on house arrest until this is sorted. And um, I, you know, I'm not allowed to go back to high school. That's over, you know, it's all over. And I get home and my friends find out I'm home and I'm not going to do drugs. And they're like, we're smoking an ounce blunt. I'm like, ounce blunt, like that's a lot of weed, right?
0: What's it called? Oh, an ounce
1: Yeah, a whole ounce. They're going to roll a whole ounce into it. I got it. Okay. Mm -hmm and i go oh i can't do that like guys i'm gonna get drug tested save me the roach the roach of an ounce blunt is like a regular blunt you know like i just you know the thinking i had it just makes no sense when i go back and i'm like what was i doing right so i do that immediately have a panic attack because i'm like oh my god i'm gonna get caught right like that was why would i smoke weed why would i just do a regular drug this was so dumb and so Within a week, I'm selling drugs again out of my window. I'm back on pills, and you know, you know how the story goes. Yeah. And yep. so to fast forward through all of that house arrest, six months worth of house arrest. You know, I ended up pleading a full fender. I had a judge that was amazing and who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself because I I actually asked for a prison sentence because, you know, I had a lot of time to think on house arrest and. I decided that I could not do this. I I would not be able to stay sober uh, on the outside by myself. And so maybe prison was the best idea because if I fuck up later, I'm going to go for longer and I just would rather get it out of the way right now and be out by the time I'm 20 or 21. And because they ended up getting me down to three years minimum mandatory. And um, so that's what we were going in there for. And the judge said, no, (laughs) judge said, no. I'm not doing this to this young girl, you know, she needs help. And, uh, you, you got to come up with a different plan. And so, you know, as pleading youthful offender, the highest amount of probation they could give me was six years. So they came back with the six years probation, two drug tests a month, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, two drug tests a month. Are you kidding me? I'm never going to be able to do this. And, uh. I take it and now I'm homeless because I'm off house arrest. My dad is so fed up. He kicks me out. I'm sleeping at like local pools. I'm breaking into people's houses just to have shelter to sleep. I wasn't even stealing anything. I was like literally just sleeping in their houses unbeknownst to them. And, um, oh, and then I started smoking crack, which, (laughs) you know, and then I thought, oh, I should sell crack. Right. And I'm on probation for drug trafficking, man. And, you know, I know a lot of people have these stories, and I guess mine's a little different. Maybe because I was just so dumb and young, but um, I, I had to go to treatment. And this is the point of no return that you're talking about.
0: Okay. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, Go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narcanon Ohio. Visit their website at narcononohai.org, that's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org, or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. The service comes with a free one hour consultation with Bobby. But did you decide to go to treatment or was there an intervention no. or was court ordered?
1: No. Court ordered treatment. Okay. okay. Court ordered treatment, uh, court ordered assessment. I didn't have to go to treatment. I had to get an assessment done to see if I needed treatment. Now my PO was on my ass because I had been faking my piss test now for about a month and a half, you know? and she knew like how do you not know i look like a junkie right i'm like 80 pounds i smoked crack on my way there i look terrible and you know i'm passing these drug tests with flying colors (laughs) thumbs up and so i go to get this assessment done and i had brought someone else's urine with me and um i went to go take it i didn't realize they were gonna watch me though i thought this would be an easy one And yeah, they watched me and the other person's urine did not go into the cup. It went all over me. Oh. Oh, yeah. All over my pants. So now I'm in clothing with someone else's urine on it. Oh, God. (laughs) And I think I'm fucked. I fucking, I fucked this all up. How could I have done that? and they need a urine sample from me, or I'm going to jail, and uh, that was the moment, because I think, because I was back into a corner, I didn't really have another option, other than to be honest, for the first time, wow, and I said, is there someone I can talk to, and they were like, well, like, what's up, I said, okay, I if I take that drug test, I'm going to come up for every single thing on it. It's a 12th panel. I'm going to come up for every single thing on that drug test, everything. And I can't stop on my own. If this assessment is supposed to help you guys figure out whether I need inpatient treatment or whether I can do this on an outpatient basis, I'm telling you, I cannot do it on an outpatient basis. I need to go to treatment. I cannot stop. Please help me. Right? If I take this drug test, I'm never going to be able to go to treatment. I'm going to go to jail. Wow. Wow. And it took them like an hour or two. I'm having a panic attack. Finally, they're like, okay. Okay. We will tell you when there's a bed open. And I'm like, okay. And I go home and my PO shows up with a cop to arrest me. Oh. Goes, Did you take your drug test today? I said, no, they didn't give me one. They didn't give you one? I said, nope. And she had to leave because she thought I was going to fail that drug test. And that's huh. how she showed up. And, like, that's a, like, you know, I just felt like my higher power was just like holding on to me like a football player, you know, until he could just get me to the goal line. Like, he was like, God, Allie, <laughs> <laughs> I kill you myself. I mean, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously I didn't stop after that until I got my bed in treatment. I got pulled over with about $400 worth of crack on me that fell out in front of a cop. I like did all these dumb things and I uh, got out of them and uh, had a few guns pulled on me. I was stealing, I stole a car. That was so stupid. Whatever. I finally get my bed there though. And uh, yeah. And where,
0: where was the facility? What was it?
1: It was called the Drug Abuse Foundation, Delray Beach, Florida. It's our state you know, non-profit, uh, rehab center. So it's a state okay. grand rehab center. Um, it was crap, <laughs> it was crap. <laughs> but you got clean and sober, right? I did. Yeah. It was. And amazing. when was that? That was in 2008. So I got in there February, 2008. Yeah. Okay. My clean date is December 15th, 2008. Cause I ended up drinking nine months later, but I got there president's day weekend. I had gotten kicked out initially because I smuggled a bottle of Jaeger in there and uh, had to go to another detox, which has since closed down. It was our other state funded program, CARP. And um, I had to go there and then I had to wait a few days. And and then I finally got back in there and um, I thought they cured you. That's how I thought rehab worked. (laughs) Isn't that funny? I thought like, you know, yeah. not that easy. No, no, it wasn't that easy at all. It was terrible. My friends, when they were in rehab, I used to ask them like, so are you still going to drink? <laughs> <laughs> Did they cure you? I remember asking that question like, cause I thought that's how it worked. but maybe that was good that I thought it that way. Cause I thought this is over. If I'm going to survive, if I'm going to live any kind of life, I can't, this, this is it.
0: Right. So how long were you in the treatment facility?
1: Six months. Six months.
0: Okay. And then what was it like when you got out? What was life like?
1: Oh, well, so the last couple months you're in a sober living kind of, uh, kind of, right? You got to, you're allowed to go to work and you have to be home at six o'clock at night. So um, I had started to try to work then and i didn't because you got to think i didn't have a driver's license i didn't have a driving permit i didn't have a car i didn't have a ged or a high school diploma or i didn't have anything i didn't even have a bank account i didn't know how to open a bank account i was only 18 i just turned 18. and um so i guess that was the biggest struggle in the beginning was find, you know getting that foothold on life like how do you do this
0: (laughs) right right you know it's interesting um uh, in much earlier podcasts, um the fellow on the podcast with me would mention the fact that when you when you're addicted to drugs when you're a teenager, you miss a lot of life skills training that a lot of younger people get when they're not doing drugs. And so there you are. You know, you didn't get to finish high school and I can I can I can understand the position you're in because you missed all of that because you were doing drugs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. I miss, you know, and you get your permit in high school. They have a class for that that I just didn't go to, you know? Right. And so, yeah, I miss a lot of that stuff. And so, thank God, though, I was like the youngest person there. So, you know, the older people that I was surrounding myself with, they helped me. They brought me to go get that permit. I failed it the first time. They paid for me to take it the second time, you know? Yep. And uh, Thank God for them. Because my dad, you know, our relationship was still very rocky at the time. Right what he's supposed to believe that i'm changing now you know why would he believe that right I, mean, I get you know i get it and i'm grateful for it and so i slept on a friend's couch i didn't know about real sober livings so i thought where i was was the only type of sober living uh you know the internet wasn't as big then it wasn't like how it is now right it's, it makes me sound so old but <laughs> right so uh, you know, I, I start saying on a friend's, Oh, I made a bo- I met a boyfriend in rehab. Okay. Yeah. we all How know did that, that go? Well, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but you know, we, we survived with each other for a little bit. And then, you know, when I had around nine months, I drank, I ended up drinking. I wasn't working, you know, for me, I wasn't working a program. I had stopped. I had stopped doing all the things that they taught me to do, uh, to get better and um I drank and the next morning I woke up and I said either I got to tell somebody about this and be honest or this might continue so I did I, t- I called somebody I said listen I drank I felt like shit because I never drank I've never really drank before and I was like what do I do I feel terrible and they're like we're not going to tell you what to do <laughs> 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 you know, I guess it does drink more alcohol or whatever and uh they're like go to a meeting I was like okay I'm at this meeting all gross I'm like weeping, you know, because I lost nine months. I couldn't believe I did that. And um, that day I started over and I, you know, and I didn't stop after that. Yeah.
0: You know, that's awesome. I, I, I know it's not easy. I mean, I haven't been there. I can't tell you personally that I've been there, but I've talked to enough people that I know that it's not easy to stay clean and sober and kudos to you for staying clean and sober. And I'm just going to say, don't take this as judgment, but having one drink, I'm not, I'm not going to fault you that one.
1: Thank
0: you. I mean, I understand (laughs) why you you had to do what you had to do and call and go to meetings and stuff, but you could have gone on a binge. You didn't go on a binge and you didn't do drugs. So, okay. I'm going to count your sober day as president's day. (laughs) So you're, so you're almost, what is that? 12 years, 14 years, 14 Mm -hmm. years, right? 2008, 2008, 12 years. Yeah, twelve years, yeah, so twelve years. I can't count.
1: I just got my eleven, yeah. Okay. Yeah, twelve. Yeah, <laughs> and my nine eleven makes a difference. So, yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, so how? What? What kind of jobs did you get? Did you start working? What did you start doing after that?
1: Oh, that was hard because of all the felonies and stuff. But uh, I started cleaning houses uh, right away. Uh, there was this lady there. She cleaned houses. She let me go with her, which was cool. And I remember the first time I found drugs at a house. Right, and I like because all those things are really important in the beginning of recovery. You're like, I just found a bunch of pills, what do I do? You tell somebody (laughs) right away, you know? Exactly, I'm not gonna
0: take them, but I gotta tell somebody.
1: (laughs) I remember making all those, you know, like early recovery decisions, you know, (laughs) right away. I I found these things here and, um, you know, I did that. And then I started waitressing, I got a job at a bar, which they hated me because I didn't drink and I wasn't a fun waitress, you know, I was (laughs) not fun waitress, I guess. And so they kind of fired me. And then I worked, you know, little, little jobs like that. I finally got a job at a country club serving. I worked there for a year. And um, my dad helped me get that job. It was really hard for me to get a job.
0: So had you get you guys had started to reconcile then?
1: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that was probably about a year or two into my recovery. Probably two years into my recovery. Yeah, We definitely started to talk more, um, but not like how we do now. You know, like I still would never have a kid in his house or anything like that at that point. And um, yeah, so he helped. He helped me get that job, and that was all right. I got fired because I'm not the server type, especially at a country club. But right, you know. So yeah, and then what I what did I do next? Allie, oh, did, I, let I, me let me stop you for just yeah. a second.
0: Did you just do the one rehab? Is that the only rehab program you did? Yes. Okay. Cool. I'm sorry. You were then going to say where you went in terms of work.
1: Uh, because like you know, after that, it was like I didn't know what I wanted to do. What What do I want to be? I'm not going to college. I am in college now. But then I thought <laughs> it was very dumb. I was like, all right, I'm not spending all that money like that, right? <laughs> and uh, so, I got into sales, and then I, you know, a little bit after that, I started my magazine. I started a magazine called Fresh Start and it was an addiction recovery magazine. I did it anonymously. No one knew knew that I made it besides the people that maybe bought ads, but my name wasn't in it. And I would write recovery literature, and I would sell ads to rehab centers. And, you know, I would distribute the magazine, and I would design it. And, you know, I had fresh start for a few years. Wow. Yeah. What
0: happened to it?
1: Uh, So I ended up opening a sober living after that. And that kind of took a lot of my time and I tried hiring people to keep up on the magazine selling ads and stuff, but they just, they just couldn't do it. And I couldn't do both, you know, and now I was responsible for these 24 men, you know, guys. And that, you know, that ended up being the best thing I ever did. I was so happy doing that. I was really uh, so happy doing that. And, um, you know, that just has, that's probably the favorite, my favorite thing I've ever done. And so, but then, you know, the rehab center started to get a little greedy, blah, blah, blah. So we exited and we just sold, you know, the property to them. And, you know, it was kind of not as fun at that point because it was all about, you know.
0: The money, right. Because you were more about helping people.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we had like this camaraderie and I just saw how they did stuff and it just, I just didn't feel right to me. You know, I get that they have to make money, like totally. Like, I agree with that, you know, they wouldn't be able to treat people if they didn't have any money, but you know, for a sober living level of care, I just thought it should be different, so right. you know, it was just time for me to go, and um, after that is when we started filming for our film, American Relapse.
0: That's awesome, tell me about American Relapse, what was that What was that like?
1: So, it was so uh, interesting, this kid I went to high school with, he called me, he goes, oh, Allie, the treatment industry, it's crazy down there right now, huh, and I'm like, yeah, it is. Right. And he goes, you still have the magazine. I go, kind of, you know, the articles are online, whatever. He's like, can I talk to you? I said, sure. And he starts asking me questions about the industry, right? Like the urine testing, the brokering, the this, the that. And he goes, man, I want to do something with this. Can we come down there and maybe like show us around a little bit? Cause you got, this was probably what year it was probably twenty six, eighteen maybe. 2016 when we filmed oh okay so it was crazy then there was no task force yet there was none of that stuff right it was kind of still very wild west like right and so he came down we filmed a little bit and uh they brought it back to some other people and then randomly they're like hey And they wanted other people to do it. I was like, here, talk to all these people. They'll be great on film. I don't know if I'll be, you know, I don't know if I will like it or I think that's (laughs) weird. I don't know. I don't know if I'll get hired at another place again. I don't know what my life will be if I do something like this, you know? And uh, I ended up doing it. They came down for a weekend and they filmed us for, you know, Monday or Friday through Monday. And I thought it was a lot of work. They want to be with you all day, right? I was like, geez, I almost slow down. <laughs> you know, this is just for fun. You know, no one's getting paid, right? We're just doing this documentary that's going to come out one day. Like, you know, I don't know. And so I think basically it's just maybe something that I'll see one day. I'll have when I'm old. No one else is ever going to see it. And uh, then they turn it into a sizzler reel or whatever. And we end up getting picked up for... A season of uh, Dope Sick Nation on Viceland. Wow. Which was crazy and that was an amazing experience. I learned so much. I had such a great time. We were able to help so many people. Wow. And, uh,
0: you yeah. did get paid for that one, right?
1: Yeah. Thank okay. God. All they, right. They work you like 13 hours a day. Wow. You know, like <laughs> it's hard work, this show business stuff. I never Yes, did. it is. And, you know, geez, these camera guys, we probably had like a 15 person squadron, you know. That wasn't even editing. It was really something else to see all this stuff. It was really cool. And, you know, the people, we worked with the same people for the movie as the show. And so we ended up getting close and I trusted them more. And when I trusted them more, things were better because before I was scared, you know, like, what are right. they going to do? Are they going to make me seem bad or whatever? And everyone wants to tell you that, like, like, you don't know how they're gonna edit it you're like well yeah they can only edit it so many ways you know like whatever i'm not gonna
0: look too bad
1: right i can't look that bad you know like what are they gonna do and so you know they they did a great they did pat mcgee and adam lincoln Health did such a good job i am so grateful that you know it was them that this opportunity arose with and you know the film ended up we ended up winning you know international rhode island international film festival i think we won eight or nine film festivals a few of them were international we got on the shortlist for the uh academy awards wow
0: we were
1: like, you know, <laughs> we were like on the list or whatever like yeah <laughs> and uh you know now now the movie's on hulu and um a whole bunch of other you know things like that and i'm like what people are gonna really actually see it i hate my hair like oh, I, had a- I had blue hair and i'm like why did i do that you know like <laughs> Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, no, it was really cool. <laughs> it's all about
0: the message, Allie, the message.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that hair, that like, uh.
0: <laughs> so what, what are you doing now? What's your passion now?
1: So, um, you know, it was hard after all of that stuff to like figure out you're like, what you're kind of left. Like, what do I do? You know, like that was so fun. What, what else is there to do? And, um, I feel like my higher power has already brought stuff into my life like that. You know, I've been very lucky to, or blessed, whatever you want to look at it is to, but I always say yes. I say yes to a lot of things people say no to, you know, I'll say yes to anything.
0: And okay.
1: My life's about mainly just showing up, you know, which is what I did for the movie. I just showed up. I didn't even want to do it. And um, so, you know, I'm in college now. Taking what degree
0: are you going after?
1: Business marketing. Okay. So I think that that's fun. I think I can work anywhere with that, you know. Whether, you know, I think it's great to have that kind of degree, and um, I'm very early, you know, far from being at the degree part. That's but, okay. You know, it's great to be in school. I I used to hate it. God, I hated it so much. I told everyone, just Google it. Like, what do you need to go to college for? And let me tell you. If your confidence is low, go to college. If you don't know you what to do, go to college. You're lazy. <laughs> go to college. Because if you're a college student, you can just be like, I'm in college. You know, and everyone kind of forgives you for everything. It is the best. You guys are missing out if you're not in school right now. So go to school. And um, I work at Addiction Helpline America. So they're kind of like a online, you know, it's a directory. Because instead of just working for one facility, I felt like, I don't know. I just felt like it was so like, ah, oh, I can like, only tell this person to go here. Like, why? Right, a country full of amazing facilities, you know, yours is not always the best for every patient. And that's wrong for me to send them to whatever place. So, you know, just to be able to have them go on this site and just look up everything that's near them, Right. you know, whatever is best for you and I'll talk to you and help you out with it. But, you know, so for them, I make videos and I make content and that's, I like that. You know, they've given me the opportunity to just do things I love, like video. You know, right. I've like, been doing video editing and, and blog writing and being able to be creative and, you know, no rehab wanted that. They all want you to go get clients and do all this crap that I suck at. My clients don't have any money or insurance, you know, right. they'll like, probably help me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're all like that, you know, so it just wasn't a good fit for me and, um, you know, this is much better. So I do that, and I started speaking with Michael DeLeon. Um, ah,
0: yes. Yeah. At the
1: schools, and I'm super pumped about that. Because like I said, when I was younger, there was none of that education being brought in.
0: That's very true. It was just say no, but there was no information on why say no. Why? yeah, why you know? do
1: that? Yeah. Yeah,
0: and you can, you know, if you talk to kids like they're stupid and, you think that you can be dogmatic with them and say, well, just say no, it's not going to work. Right. And, you know, Allie, you said that you thought maybe if you'd had more information as a young person, you might not have done some of the drugs. Well, I actually believe that's true. And so you going into schools and actually giving the kids true data, like, hey, I'm not just preaching to you. I've been there. I've done that. So I know what I'm talking about. I think that that's, I think it's major. And I think that, you know, if nothing else with this whole epidemic of addiction, I think that the whole drug education area, I think is huge because I can't tell you how many people we talked to on the podcast that started when they were nine or 12, right? you know, and they didn't have any educate drug education.
1: I'm with you. I think it's crazy. Like, like it, and, and his, the way he does it, like the literature it's awesome because he like you said he's real they come with facts they don't talk to them like they're dumb because these kids we look at them as kids but they're like grown adults in their school you know like they got boyfriends and girlfriends and they have a whole life that you know we just see and they're not
0: stupid kids are not stupid you know People think sometimes they can talk, talk around kids and they don't get it. Yeah, they get it. You know, kids well, yeah. are not stupid. And so if you give them the facts, um, they're going to get it and they're going to learn it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that. I'm That's really- awesome. Yeah. Um. So
0: Allie, we figure that we've got a lot of, um, friends and families of addicts that listen to the podcast and also addicts. We know cause some have reached out to us. If you could give them all one message, what would that message be?
1: this is the hard one well i mean for the families i have to say you guys you know you the family members you guys might have to do stuff that your loved one is not going to be happy about right now and that doesn't mean that they're not going to love and forgive you you are saving their life and it's what any good mom or dad would do you know you gotta be tough even though it hurts you to see them hurt sometimes it's for the better you know what i'm saying like you, you got you can't enable these kids you, you got to cut it out That's and right. um you know it's, it's one of the biggest issues i i deal with you know when i talk to families it's really hard they bankrupt themselves all this you know it's just so sad and um you know for the people that are struggling you know I i believe in you I believe in you and I I truly believe that you can do whatever you want. I was never supposed to be here, right? All the odds were stacked against me. Like I'm sure they're stacked against you right now with all the foster care and the drugs and the homelessness and the GED. And I've been able to make a life that I'm happy and proud of and that I wouldn't trade for anything. So I am convinced that you can do the same thing. And I hope that you do and believe in yourself.
0: Wow. Allie, that's awesome. Thank you once again for being on the podcast today. I I, I think your story is like no other. I mean, there's similarities for sure, but I think that your story is going to resonate and you're so delightful to talk to and how you, you make this subject funny. I'm not sure how you do that. I know it's a serious subject and you acknowledge that, but you just, you make it fun and, and I wish you the best success with your career and your college and all of that.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, see who you have on next. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> be
1: awesome.
0: Thank you for listening and watching today. I hope that you enjoyed Ali's story. She's very delightful and she's very animated, but you know, in all seriousness, she went through what a lot of you may have gone through or what your loved one is going through. And the whole point is They have to get help, or you have to get help, and that's what we want for you. Do something about it now. Don't wait. Do it now. Make a call. Call the Addiction Helpline. Call Narcanon. Call anywhere. Call Learn to Cope, but call somewhere that can give you help. You know, when you call a place like Narcanon, it's anonymous. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to give any information about yourself. It's 866-231-5924. You can just ask questions. You'll have somebody there that will understand what you're going through, whether it's you that's addicted or a loved one that's addicted. So do something about it today. Please, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And watch us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel there. I will tell you, for those of you who are not checking us out on YouTube, that Ali Severino is beautiful. So you might want to go to YouTube and watch her as well as listen to her. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcan Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation
1: program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.